Amen. I'm going to just continue real quick in prayer. Father, we worship you and we praise you and we thank you. Lord, we love you. We pray your blessing over this message in Jesus' name. I give you my mouth, my will, my choices. I give you my heart. I give you every piece of me to do with what you will, to speak through as you decide. I don't want any of myself to come through this. Only that which glorifies you. Father, we have come hungry this morning. We have come hungry to hear from you. We have come hungry for truth. We have come hungry to know the steps of intimacy with you. Because it is all wrapped around faith. It is all wrapped around the thing that pleases you most. And that simply is that we believe you. And in those stages of belief, you then give us further to believe. Hmm. Or just reveal your truth to us. Even if, as what was written 2,000 years ago in your gospel, in, in your word, and then before that as well, Father, reveal to us today your intent. Reveal to us today the truths of what you want us to know, what you want us to recognize what you want us to understand. Father, nobody that is here this morning is here by accident. Nobody. You have intention for this morning. Father, as we open our hearts to you, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Because it is he, you said, who peels back the layers of Scripture, who interprets it for us, who helps us to understand the hidden things, you said. (laughs) Even Jesus was an example of those hidden things that were kept hidden from the religious system of that day and revealed only to those who opened their hearts to him. Why would it be any different today? It wouldn't be. Because you said when we seek you, we find you. It doesn't say that we just find you and then decide if we listen or not. We have to seek you. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, we do find hidden treasures. That's what relationship with you is. 
It's like any relationship. You do not get to the joy of that relationship without cost. You don't get to the joy of that relationship without the burden of pressing in a vulnerability. Oh, Jesus, you were the ultimate in vulnerability. You gave your life. You said there is no greater cost that a friend could pay than to give his life for his friend. Lord, teach us the truths of you, of your word, of what you desire, of what you intend, of what you want to come about on this earth and specifically in your bride. I stand here, Father, as a servant crying out, and I cry out with every other one here that we desire your will to be done on earth as you have already done it and planned it in heaven. We desire your kingdom that has come to this earth to be made manifest on this earth. As we spoke of last week, Father, we want what you want, and that is the destruction of that northern mountain the destruction of that earthly system that is led by Satan himself, who has woven this web of deceit, of lies, all throughout this earth, even throughout your bride. So that the very fruits that you offer in relationship with you are hidden. Are not achieved because of not understanding. Father, so often we're so worried about ourselves and our plight on this earth. That we have just come to a place of sitting back and waiting for you to just come and fix it. And that was never your intention. That was never your mystery. Father, your mystery is to do it in relationship with your bride that it is done by faith. There is no glory for you to come and do it all yourself. You could have done that the moment Adam sinned. You could have had him pay for that sin right then and there. And you could have started over. But you didn't. Because what you had with him, what you intended in creation, was so precious. You were not willing to give it away. 
but you were willing to fight for it and to win back the hearts of your people. Father, we worship you and praise you. Jesus, we thank you. You are the Lord of hosts. You are the Lord of the armies. And you're recruiting. You're teaching. You're loving. You're building relationship with those who will lead. Because they will let you lead. For your desire is to work seamlessly through them. Fill us with what you desire this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about the northern mountain. And we talked about what that means. And it's very interesting because if you go and you, if you study eschatology at all, which is prophetic, you know, in time study, which by the way, two thirds of the Bible is prophecy. (laughs) So if you're ignoring the prophetic part of the Bible, you're ignoring a whole lot of the Bible. But if you study eschatology at all, if you study end times at all, then you have to understand some of the prerequisites of even understanding that. We know that there comes a time when Jesus does come and take his bride. And I don't know about you, I grew up being fascinated with prophecy. I, I, I grew up studying it, and I've taught it for the last 30 years, and, and I've, I've shared this many times. And so many of those things were assumptions that I just took on from the Word of God, from what I had been taught. But when you press in, and you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit is intended to do, which is peel back layers of Scripture, to literally teach you, then it's amazing what picture starts to unfold. We talked about it beginning last week. This northern mountain. Okay, the northern mountain. There is a physical northern mountain, and we talked about that last week. If you didn't hear that, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. There is a northern mountain that Satan uses as his uh, his place of authority. Similar to Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem being on a mountain. Mount Zion being the place of authority for Jesus Christ, for God, right? It's the same idea. Does it mean that there are mountains or that there are just... All these uh, demons have their bunkers in Mount Hermon. No, that's not what it means. It means that in the belief of human beings at the time, they believed that the gods that came out of Genesis 6, those, those fallen angels that came down to earth, that they literally came to that mountain and established it as their headquarters. 
The Bible talks about that all throughout, about that northern mountain. That's why when you see in the Battle of Armageddon, and not, not to get too far off here, but if you study, study prophecy, study eschatology, you, you come across this thing called the Battle of Armageddon, and what that really means, that is like the end to end all battles, right? Where literally blood will flow up to the bridles, uh, up to the horse's bridle. That's pretty thick in blood. But when you, when you look at that, you recognize that the battle is between Mount Zion and the northern mountain. They come down from the north. So you could study that and you could start to look, okay, well, maybe, no, it's really Iraq because Iraq is Gog. And, and then you've got Magog and you've got how they will be the hook in, in Russia's mouth and they will pull Russia into it and all this stuff. And by the way, I'm, I'm in agreement with all that. There's precedence for that, but that's not what God wants us to get. There's something behind that that is really important to get. And that's the fact that this is a war, literally, between good and evil. It is between God and Satan, who is not near as powerful, not even a drop of God's power. But yet, because the war is over you and you have choice, it has equalized that battle. God literally limited himself when he said, I will give you free will. I will give you choice. And then when Adam gave that choice to Satan, in Genesis 3, when he sinned, it gave Satan the authority to set up his own mountain, to set up his own governmental system. And so when God said, I want that mountain, it isn't that the mountain isn't already his. Because Everything is his, the earth and the fullness thereof. He's the creator of all of it, so he owns all of it. But what he wants is what he gave away to you, and that's your heart. He wants your heart. Because he will never, because he is love, he will never force you to love him. Because that wouldn't be real love, would it? That would simply be captivity. He wants you to love him, so he gives you that choice. That leveled the playing field or this battlefield between the north and the south, if you will, in this metaphor. It's important to understand that metaphor if you're going to understand end times. I want you to turn. In fact, the Lord took me this morning to Isaiah chapter 2. I want you to turn there. It kind of goes off of what we were talking about last week, but then we're going to tail into something a little bit different. And actually, before I read that, I want you to understand that what God's intention is here is to build something very special. To build with his people something very special. It's, it's what he had promised Abraham. It's what he had promised David. It's what he had promised all those prophets of old. It's what he promised the, the disciples. It's what he promised Paul. It's what he has promised even you and I. 
this city that has a foundation built by God. And I know if you're like me, the last 40 years of study was, was thinking, well, yeah, of course, what he's really building is a place for us in heaven. But that's not at all what it's talking about. Because, see, when you get to heaven, you no longer have choice. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, then you see face to face. You don't believe by faith. You see and you believe because you see. Right? But when we're on this earth, we believe through faith. What he wants to build, this city that was built by God's foundations, he wants to build right here. Right now. He wants it to come. This is what we talked about last week. How he wants that northern mountain. He wants the the mountains of the earth, if you will, the governmental system of the earth to submit to him by choice. So now let's let's go to Isaiah chapter 2. I'm just going to start reading in verse 2. It shall come to pass. Now, by the way, it's really interesting. If you if you look, I'll mention this in a second. But but the placement of this in Isaiah is really interesting as well. I'll mention that in a second. Verse two: It shall come to pass in the latter days, in the last days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and he shall be lifted up above the hills. First of all, you have to understand just in the wording here that you're getting a hint. He's not talking about physical mountains. He's not talking about the fact that that Mount Zion will somehow grow to be higher than Mount Everest. Okay, he's not talking about a physical mountain here. It's an idiom that ancient peoples, not just Jews, but peoples, Ancient peoples used to think that the gods, the gods, and I'm talking about people that believed in in other gods and whatever, they believed that the gods came from the mountains. In the time of the writing of of the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, their foundation of the mountains were not like what we have today. I mean, I'm from Colorado. If you have the money and you have the opportunity, you want to live in the mountains. It's beautiful there. Okay, that's not the thought process that they had two to 4,000 years ago. Back then, that was the place for the gods. It was uninhabitable for human beings. It was, and, and specifically, if you know the mountain ranges in the north that, that the Bible talks about, Mount Hermon, it's, it's not physically livable in the winter time or in the summer because it is cold year-round. It's snow-capped year-round. Today it'd be fine. Right? We have technology that could keep us warm. Back then, nobody would choose to live up there because the production of it really ran against what they needed to do. So the, the mountains were for the gods. Understand that what God is using here as a metaphor and what we just read is his governmental system. Do you guys understand that? 
that, that the metaphor of the mountain is a governmental system. It's a leadership system. So, again, let's start again. Verse 2. It shall come to pass in the, in the latter days that the mountain or the governmental system of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of those systems. Shall be lifted above the hills, those lower systems. And all nations will flow to it. Everything will come to it. This is what Isaiah is, he is prophesying. He is saying from the Lord. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war no more. This is an, an extraordinary prophecy that Isaiah gave because he is speaking of this prophecy not knowing the mystery of what God was going to do. Right? He knew there was a Redeemer coming. He knew that there was a prophesied Messiah. But what he didn't know is what that would open up, which we'll get into in a second. This, this great mystery that Paul said was in the Old Testament, hidden from the saints and the prophets in the Old Testament, then revealed to Paul. And it's, it's extraordinary when we get into it, I'll show you. If you start to study this mystery, Paul is the only one that alludes to the mystery of it. That's an interesting thought. Peter didn't allude to it. He, he confirmed it, which, which I'll get into, but he didn't, he didn't allude to what it meant. And in fact, they fought against it a little bit. Peter, John, and James. But this mystery was about the fact that God wants to take his mountain, his governmental system, and have it operational on the earth. Now, do you think that he could just come down and do that himself? Of course he could. If he wanted to, Jesus could have had a very different intention in that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's what the people wanted. Right? When he came into Jerusalem a week before he was put on the cross, they thought he was coming there to claim his kingship. To claim his power over their oppressors, which was Rome. They were slaves in Rome. Right? They were, they were a subclass citizenship in Rome. And they thought he was coming there to kind of fix all that. Come and save them from all that. But that's not what he was there to do. He was there to pay a price so that he can do that very thing through you. That's what he wants to do. One other thing I'll say about this before I get into the mystery, this, this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 2. I'm not going to go down this, this uh, rabbit hole right now. But I want to 
encourage you to dive into this a little bit. Dive into the background of these first few chapters and what it means in the layout of it, because you're going to start to see something. First of all, the next, the next section in chapter 2 talks about the day of the Lord. Okay, and the day of the Lord is a pretty common theme in prophecy. The day of the Lord is literally the Lord's justice or his judgment that brings on his return. That's the day of the Lord. By the way, it's probably not a single day. It's a time frame, right? But the day of the Lord is literally when he flips a switch and said, it has begun. I am bringing my justice that will bring my very presence. Right? And we, we know all that. I've studied that for 40 years. That's what happens in Revelation chapter 19. When Jesus finally comes on this white horse and, and he comes with all the saints and they come and they conquer Satan. They conquer death. They conquer the world. And he sets up and literally takes David's throne for a thousand years. Right? That's what we know. But I want to encourage you, go and study the day of the Lord. Every time, pull it up every time in Scripture. And start to chart out some of the differences. Because you're going to see some differences that are going to throw you a little bit. And in fact, what you're going to have to do, if you think that it is all referring to the same day of the Lord, then you're going to have to just take some assumptions and say, well, you know, I don't quite know why he said it that way, but he did, and so... God knows, I don't need to worry about it, because I know that it's when Jesus comes in Revelation 19. Okay, but I want to throw out another possibility. See, the mystery, as Paul talks about, is us. It's the church. And the mystery is such that he wants to do in the church what he had planned the entire time to do with Israel. But Israel rejected him and said no. When they rejected the physical Messiah and said no, then all of a sudden this mystery was revealed through Paul. In fact, let's, let's turn there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've ever studied this, then you'll have a smile on your face. If, if you've never studied this, I want to encourage you to study it. it. In 40 years of reading the Word of God, it's just amazing to me how this mystery never, never really took shape. Verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, now, before I read on, let me, let me remind you, what is the kingdom of God? Jesus said he brought it here, right? He said when he was alive that if these things are happening, which they are, then that means the kingdom of God has come to you. And has become available to you who are alive, who are breathing, who have not yet died and gone to heaven. 
So he's saying that kingdom that he's talking about is right here because Jesus brought it here. That's the, that's the kingdom that cannot be inherited. Just, it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Underline that. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I have you underline up above where it says, At the last trumpet. So at the last trumpet this mystery will be fully exposed but what is this mystery i want you to turn and we've talked about this there there are messages that you can go and listen to that go into this in depth but i want you to turn to ephesians chapter 3 paul reveals what this mystery is Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behold of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, he was assigned to Gentiles. In fact, that frustrated Paul. I have to guess that that's partly why it took 14 years for God to get Paul ready. You know, he probably spent a good chunk of those saying, Wait, Lord, why are you sending me to Gentiles? Why, they're they're the dogs. Why are you sending me to them? Why are you not sending me to your children? And he had to reveal to him, he had to show him his plan, and it took obviously took some time. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So understand what was made known to Paul at this point that was kept hidden in the Old Testament was that the Gentiles through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the acceptance of him, they were made to be brothers and sisters. They were given the same promise. 
It was the promise that was given to Israel at the very beginning. All of those things, not the least of which, but but most important, was eternal life. That no longer did you have to become a Jew traditionally, believe in the law, follow the law, so that you could know the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. But now, what you had to do is recognize that the Messiah had come. The Messiah who was God's only son. God himself inserted himself into mankind. Became a man. Walked a perfect sinless life. And then gave his life on the cross. Paid that ultimate price for you and for me. But death, where is your sting? See, he conquered death because it said death couldn't hold him. He was raised from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And through him, all the nations can come to be his children. All the nations. That was the mystery. By the way, that was the very mystery that was rejected by Israel. Rejected to the point where they took Paul's life. Right? They didn't believe. Even some of the disciples had a hard time believing. Jesus had to had to literally take Peter and show him through a vision to go to Cornelius' house... And see what happened there was the same thing that happened in Acts chapter 2. The giving of the Holy Spirit for Peter to realize, oh wow, okay, God's doing this with Gentiles too. But see, there's a greater mystery to unfold here. Because if you look at it to that point and to the entire point of the New Testament, all you see is persecution. All you see is them being beat down, held down, that mountain of Satan, that governmental system of Satan always being in control. And yet, the Father said, no, that mountain will be mine. My mountain will be lifted up above all other mountains. And what he wants to do is through his bride. We talked about that a little bit last week. That is the mystery of what is being revealed. So remember, I had you underline the seventh, you know, in that last trumpet, right? Now, when we go to Revelation, we know that there is a scroll there, right? Seven sealed scroll, and you've got the seven seals, and then you have these trumpets. I want you to go to the last trumpet. Revelation chapter 11. Because this goes back to that mystery that is unfolding in the church. Revelation chapter 11, starting with verse 15. Now, by the way, I've said this before. There are a couple things in Revelation that are very interesting that that really have nothing to do with Israel. This is one of those, and I'm going to show you why. But don't be surprised by that because 
the bride is entangled all throughout those prophecies. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. By the way, this is the last trumpet. The seventh one is the last one. Remember what, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Right? That at the last trumpet, that mystery will come to completion. Will be fully revealed. Okay? So this is the seventh trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Recognize what's going on here. This is not that the kingdom just in the, in the seventh trumpet, the kingdom finally comes to the earth. No, Jesus said it came to the earth when He came. So what's going on here? This is the manifestation of that kingdom. We look around right now, there is no manifestation of His kingdom. Right? In our governmental kingdoms... I don't know, is there even a single nation? I don't think there's a single nation run by God's law. I wouldn't think, right? In, 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 terms, of, in terms of biblically. Certainly not with Jesus Christ as Messiah. But he said the kingdom of the world has become. This is post it happening. And it's not like blank, okay, now... The kingdom of this world is now the kingdom of Christ. It's a process. It's a process of understanding the war. Understanding the battlefield. Understanding that through his bride, through that mystery, through all those, and by the way, it's not just Gentiles. It was opened up to the Gentiles. It is for the Jews as well. Salvation is for all. Salvation is for any that would recognize Jesus Christ as Messiah. And from that, when all that comes about, he said, in, again, in the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Now, by the way, one of the reasons that you know that this is not just talking about Israel, as in the last and final tribulation period, is because of that statement right there, the 24 elders. The 24 elders, there are three types in the word of God that are called kings and priests. Right? You have the 24 elders, which are called kings and priests. You have Melchizedek, who is called kings and priests. Okay, you have, who else is called kings and priests? Yeah, we are. We are. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as, as Savior, then we are called kings and priests. These 24 elders are part of that ecclesia. They are part of the church. They are part of that group that has accepted Christ as Savior because they are made kings and priests. So what's going on here is God's kingdom being manifest on this earth in that final trumpet. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is 
and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. There's a lot going on there in that seventh trumpet. There's a lot going on there in what is the culmination of the mystery that Paul talks about. This church, this body of believers who believe Jesus Christ is Messiah and have accepted Him. It's through them that He wants to make manifest His kingdom. And it is all, by the way, for a single purpose. It's to make Israel jealous. If you don't believe me, we won't turn there, but just write down Romans 11.11. Romans 11.11 talks about how the Gentiles are included for the single purpose of making Israel jealous. Literally seeing the, the, what God is doing with His believers, His Gentile even believers, and saying, wait a second, He said He wanted to do that with us. Okay, what did we miss? Oh. Oh, maybe Jesus is the Messiah. That's what he wants to show in this grand mystery. So what we are going through right now is a readying of his bride. It is a coming of his kingdom to this earth, making manifest right now. Man alive, I, I don't know about you, but... But for me, I used to always believe that we just got to kind of hang on until Jesus finally comes and gets us. You know, I have the hope in salvation. And I hope you do too. But I'll be real honest with you. I didn't have a whole lot of hope in this world society. I didn't have a whole lot of hope in what was going to go on here while I am alive and breathing. I just figured that I have to maintain my testimony and really what I have hope for is that city that God is building up in heaven where I get some kind of mansion. And that's awesome. That's what I was thinking. But that's not at all what he's saying in that hope. Do you recognize that he said in Hebrews 11, we won't turn there, but in Hebrews 11, he talked about the, the forefathers of old. He talked about Abraham. He talked about David and how they believed that there was a city whose foundation was built by God. They believed and they, they thought it was coming for them in their time. They never said that, well, I know one day we're going to be in heaven. And that's what we're counting on. That's not what David fought for. That's not what Abraham fought for. They believed in a foundation that was being built by the Messiah that would come. Now the problem is they didn't understand the mystery. They didn't understand that it would include all of his children. All those who would accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But let me tell you, that city whose foundations are being built by God, it is not about heaven. 
It is about what he wants to build right here. Right here with you and me. He wants to build it in this time. He wants a group of people, his people, to just say yes and actually believe that he wants to do it. Not just sit around and wait for heaven to finally come. And hopefully have a testimony in the meantime. Man, I could just imagine God thinking all those years, Greg, get it. I want you to get this. This is something to fight for right now. Do you know it's at your fingertips? Church, it's at your fingertips. It's not something that you have to hope one day, maybe some generations from now, can happen. It can happen right now. And it can begin right here. That's what He wants. That's the mystery. The mystery comes to full conclusion when we have gotten it. And He has done it through us. That's what He wants to do. Problem is, it takes laid down lives. It takes lives that give Him everything. It takes lives that are not stuck in their own parameters of what they want to believe, but really trust God and His Word. Really trust that even what He says in sending the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, that He will do that. Oh man, what He wants to do. He's already laying those foundations. This system, this day of the Lord, as I said before, study, you're going to see, if you really lay it out and you understand this mystery, you're going to see that there's two of them in Scripture. Don't look at it like there's one. Because then it's, you're going to have to accept some things as well. Okay, I don't quite understand that. Even how Isaiah chapter 2 is laid out in terms of what comes with the day of the Lord, and then after the day of the Lord, the judgment of Israel. See, that timing doesn't work out so well if you're thinking that he's talking about the day of the Lord in Revelation 19. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work out so well. Well, yeah, God's timing is different than ours. I absolutely agree with you on that one. I also know that in Paul told us in the Old Testament, there was this mystery that God didn't want to reveal. In fact, he kept it hidden on purpose, I believe, to thwart Satan. I believe so Satan couldn't figure it out. He kept that hidden as a mystery. But don't think for a second that God is not revealing that mystery now. Even you ever, you ever wonder if again if you study Revelation if you study, study prophecy, you come across this this thing in Revelation chapter ten, where these seven thunders speak, and then John goes to write down what they said, and the the angel says, no 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 no, don't write that down, that's for a later time. Oh okay, 
So he doesn't write it down. And literally, that's all it says. It's like, what's the point, Lord? Why did you tease us? It's kind of like somebody come up, coming up to you and saying, hey, you know, I know something about you. You have a nice day. <laughs> right? It's like, seriously, did you need to tell me that? But see, there's a reason that he put it in there. There's a reason. And it's not for the reason of us figuring it out when we get to heaven. <laughs> no. See, I believe the seven thunders, what was spoken in the seven thunders that was prophetic, we are either about to walk through or we're even walking through beginning to now. See, he will reveal his full plan of this mystery because he wants Israel. He wants his chosen people to believe him. God is a God that does not go back on his promises. He promised Israel that he would send a king that would take David's throne that would reign forever and ever and ever. He will not break that promise. But just like you, he will not force himself on you. He will not force himself on Israel. What he is waiting for Israel is for them to say, Jesus, we recognize you're the, you're the Messiah. We recognize that you came as God in the flesh and gave yourself for us. And as a nation, we choose you. The second they do that, you will see Revelation 19 come about when Jesus does come. But see, right now, they don't believe. So what he is doing in his mystery is a parallel to what he will do with Israel. Do you see? How do you make somebody jealous? You let them see what you want them to have, but they don't have. Right? That's what he's doing in his bride. So when you start to understand this, this parallel system, literally to make Israel jealous, it's not replacement. Man, those who go down the road of replacement theology, that is so dangerous because then you have to negate the promises of God and say, well, they didn't accept, so his promises really don't mean anything. Ooh, that's dangerous. It's also an absolute lie. Every promise he gave Israel, he is going to give them. But what he is doing is a parallel system of bringing his bride to a ready place to make them jealous. Revelation 3.9. That's how this journey began with me. Five, six years ago, whenever it was. I read that and realized... It was before the rapture. It was before verse 10 when we're taken. And it said that the world will come and pay homage to the church, not to Jews. Because see, chapter 2 and 3, the seven letters in Revelation, they're not written to the Jews. They're written to the church. Understand what he wants to do. 
He wants to do this through his bride who has chosen him so that his chosen people would then see and choose him. It's all about choosing him. But that's where we're at. We have this hope. We have this hope in this life that he wants to do that in this life right here, right now. And he's already begun it. See, there is a day of the Lord coming. And, you know, I'm sorry to all of our critics on Facebook. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not coming. And when it comes, you're not going to understand. Unless you're pressed into him. Because if you're pressed into him, then you're part of it. Do you understand that? See, the day of the Lord is not just him coming down and, and rocking everything and then, you know, standing there. See, the day of the Lord is about his justice and his judgment to make right what has been made wrong. It's a system of turning from one mountain to another, from Satan's governmental system to God's governmental system. It starts by a shaking. What do you do when any of you who are, who are uh, uh, into those gold shows? I love those gold shows. Seriously, nobody? Okay. People. All right, one person. Thank you. Thank you. All the gold he and I get, nobody else. No, but in, when, when you dig for gold and, and you watch some of these like Gold Rush, and that, that's, that's one, of the, one of the ones, but they dig up all this dirt. You don't just go and, oh, here's a big nugget and awesome. That might have worked a few hundred years ago. It doesn't work so much now because all that top easy stuff is gone. Now what they do is they'll dig down through what's called overburden first. They might dig down through, through 20, 30 feet of overburden up, up in Alaska for in, in the Yukon. Get rid of that. Then they get down to what they call a pay layer. In the pay layer, it still looks like dirt. Right? It doesn't look like gold to me. It just looks like dirt. But when they take that dirt, that pay layer, and they put it into this big machine, what it first does is it starts to shake it up. It takes these massive rocks and all the dirt that's kind of stuck in there and it just shakes it up. It just shakes it and pours water on it. So they call it washing rocks. And literally what it's doing is it's, it's separating the gold, the good stuff, from the stuff that they all just wash away. It's no different with his justice and his judgment. He shakes up the world to see what is going to stick. Shakes up the world to get rid of the stuff that has no foundation. Oh, and he always shakes his bride up first. Right? The Bible says judgment comes to the bride first, comes to the church first. So don't be surprised with what you see right now in the government. Don't be surprised with the shaking and, oh, wait, this is, this is kind of the opposite direction, Lord. And, and believe me, I understand. I went through all that, too. 
It's like, seriously, it's kind of going the opposite direction of what we want. What you want, Father. You don't want any more abortion, and now, now it's even more prevalent. Now they're talking about opening a, a what's that called? A what? Planned Parenthood, thank you. They're, they're looking at opening a big Planned Parenthood down in Sussex County. And, and by the way, we're fighting that. Nicole Tice is fighting that. Her team is fighting that. But, but it's like, Lord, that's kind of the opposite. You know, we, we're wanting these, to, these things to be shut down and to be dismantled, and now they're growing? They're doing more? That's his shaking. That's his shaking. Are you going to trust Him for the truth? Are you going to trust Him for what He wants to do through you? Are you willing to step into this battlefield with Him? With your brothers and sisters? Because I'll tell you what, if the church would get it, that thing would never be open down south. In fact, they would all be shut down all over the United States. And that is going to happen. Believe it, there's hope in that. Do you know Abraham had hope and he never realized it. He never realized the the culmination of his hope. says in Hebrews 11. But he hoped. He hoped every day. In, In fact, hold on here. I just want to read a part. Uh, you can turn there if you want, but it's it's uh, Hebrews 11. Or wait. No, 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 never mind. Sorry, go to Romans 4. Talking about hope. Let's start at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is nullified, or null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I want you to underline this next part. In hope, he believed against hope. See, recognize what that means. That's like saying he hoped against all hope. That's how we would say it now. He hoped where there was no hope. By faith, he conjured in him this hope where there was no hope. He believed where there was not belief. But the Lord birthed that in him. And he believed every day and didn't stop. Go down to verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. 
See, Abraham knew and believed that God, God's promise to him was true. And that it would come true. And every day that he poured faith into that, he did not disbelieve. He continued to believe. It uplifted him every day. But yet you read Hebrews 11 and said that he never actually received it. He never actually got to see it. But he believed in it. And it was that hope that counted him as righteous. I'm here to tell you, we live in a different time than Abraham did. Because what was his hope is our reality. It is the time that Jesus wants to build that city. It is the time that he wants to build that governmental system to literally make Israel jealous. To bring them finally to him. It is the time for that. But see, you can believe it or not. But he's going to show it. Because he's already started the process. The sifting, the shaking has already begun. And as the sifting and the shaking happens, those who would believe grow stronger in that belief. How odd. I mean, think about it. How odd that is. That, that literally you want to make somebody stronger come against them. I mean, but you think about it, that's how things work. I mean, you want to get stronger, you lift weights, and that's hard. Why can't we get stronger just by drinking milkshakes? That would be really awesome. I'm getting stronger here, here's my milkshake. And I'm not talking about a protein shake. Right? No, it, it hurts. It hurts. We pay. We pay to get stronger. It's no different with our relationship with Christ. It's no different for the bride to become stronger. She has to go through turmoil. That's what she's going through right now. Seeing the fading away of, of literally everything, hopefully, that we thought God was going to do. And we can then cower and say, okay, well, maybe he's just not going to do it. Okay, Lord, just come. Come, because, you know, it just all sucks anyways. <laughs> How sad. How about this? How about let's recognize that what we're doing is working out. We're working out our faith. We're lifting. We're pumping the iron of faith. And we're saying, no, Lord, I believe more today than I did yesterday. I believe more tomorrow than I do the next day. I, I, I just believe every day more and more because you will do the foundations of your kingdom right here, right now, in this time, in this place. Manifest not in the spirit, because that's already done, but manifest in the physical. Man alive, you, you think it was good that, that Donald Trump was president for four years and we got to see a lot of the things changed, you know, that we had been waiting on for years and you think that was good? Yeah, how about when somebody is ruling the world, not just the United States, but the world who listens to everything Jesus says? Whew. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine being able to trust 
your governmental system. I don't know about you, but in my whole life, I haven't been able to do that. But that's what Jesus wants. That's what he's setting up. That is the readying of the bride. Read Revelation 3, verse 9. The world will see it. Not just that you will. Not just that I will. The world will see it. Those who don't know him as Savior, they'll see it. And in fact, they'll see it so much, it kind of goes back to what it said in Isaiah 2. That, oh man, let, let's, let's go and, and we want to get to know these Christians. Because there's some sort of favor by God on them. I don't know who God is, but whoever it is, he favors them. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. It says it all throughout the major and minor prophets. It says it all throughout the book of Revelation. It's coming. And it's at our doorstep. And right now, like I said last week, he's recruiting those who would believe. That's what he wants in that army rising up. He's wanting those who would believe and would come together. Not just sit at home in their belief and, God, I'm just going to sit here and wait till you do it. I'm going to turn on the... Nope, not yet. Next day, okay, no, not yet. Maybe he's waiting for you to get involved. Maybe he's waiting for you to join a group of believers that just believe what he says. Doesn't matter the circumstances, just absolutely believe what he says. I trust you. Why? Because you're you. Because you're you and I'm me. I don't want to trust me. You made me, so I can trust you. And I trust you to do it. I trust you to do it through your bride. I want to be a part of that. So that's what we do. We band together in unity. The Father said, and this is the last thing, Alex, you come on up. The last thing I'll say is this. The Lord has, over probably the last two years, has said over and over and over again to me that the critical ingredient to all of this is unity. Unity in his bride. Unity in the body of Christ. So doesn't it make sense that that's the very thing that Satan attacks? He attacks our unity. He attacks it in ways that, quite frankly, our greatest foes are not those who don't know the Lord, but those who do and are under deception. We have to fight that. We don't sit down and just take it because we have the truth. And the truth brings freedom. Ask anybody in here. The truth brings freedom. So are we going to give him our yes in that? Is this on? Okay. Brooke started worship today just declaring freedom, freedom, freedom. And it's interesting because even during the message, um, the Roman, I mean, Mark chapter 8 the, in the 30s, high 30s, I think 35 through 37, just kept going through my mind. And that's when, that's when Jesus was telling the disciples and, um, that he was going to die, and, and Peter stepped up and said, no, we'll never let this happen to you. And Jesus rebuked him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And the, the verses to follow are all about, if a man is going to come after me, he needs to take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
And, and then it goes on to say, if, if you're going to save your life, you must lose it. Because if you lose your life, you'll save it. But the verse that has replayed in my mind, I'm telling you, for the least the last 36 hours at least, is the verse right after that that says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And that is the laid down life and the choice of yes to the Lord is the cost of the freedom that Brooke declared and that Greg just mentioned now. And yet, what does it profit if you don't choose him? If you gain the whole world, what is gaining the whole world? Getting the best job, having, you know, great financial favor, having awesome possessions, having the best schooling, having, you know, career advancement and great intellectual opportunities to, you know, spend time with people who are smart or or get into the arts or entertainment. And ultimately... What does it really profit if you gain all of that, but then ultimately lose your own soul? Because all that stuff, that's the stuff that's going to be shaken. That's going to be what shakes off, is all of those things. The only thing that will stand is where we are in relationship with the Lord. And even though I've known that verse probably most of my life, way back from Awana when I was a little kid, learning verses to win the donuts, I remember... The Lord's been taking me back through some of these basics and just playing them over and over again as it pertains to this readying of the bride and the taking of this mountain. And what does that mean? It it isn't just some high concept for if you want to take a class on eschatology and and end times and, you know, a lot of people take those. But like he said at the end, what does it mean for me right now? What does it mean that I host the Holy Spirit and the presence of God and that the kingdom of God through me that I seek first... And his righteousness, what does that mean in my everyday life? That means that when I leave here and go to whatever, to go to lunch or go to a store, I'm, I'm ushering in the presence of the Lord that I am hosting into every interaction that I do. That I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I'm making choices in relationship and in sync with his heart and, and doing what's right. And, and as he leads me, speaking to people who may be lost and hopeless, Jeff mentioned the other night on the prayer call that just the, the sensitivity in the spirit allowed him to see what has happened to the hopelessness and the sadness of people when he was at the mall. That is all around us all the time. And they've always been there, but the bride has never seen it. And so God is allowing a shaking. He's allowing a an opportunity release. This is a good thing. This is a detox good thing. We know detox is violent and terrible to look at when somebody's seriously detoxing, but it is for the good of the person to get the toxins out. And so this this realization around us, to me, has been such a wake-up call that nothing I've ever pursued outside of the will of God has just means anything. It doesn't mean anything. And that doesn't mean, and I am about to pray, that doesn't mean that you don't have jobs, that you don't do well at your job, that you don't you know, take care of your, the possessions that God's given you, that you don't ever wash your car or your clothes. or you know. No, it means that you live and breathe and have your being in him. It means that we take better care because 
if it's God that's given it to us, we're stewarding all that he's given us with better care than what the world does. Whatever he allows you to have, he is not against things. He's just against the things being against him or above him. And we are to steward these things for his honor and for his glory. And again, in that relationship place, just invading the space and the world in which, which we live. But pursuing those things instead of him is where we get into trouble. And I, I, we talked in the ladies' class this morning about authority, authority prayer. Um, and, and we're going to be unpacking it because once you get this, and, and, and I hope it wasn't lost on you. I don't think it is even possible without going through it again. I would encourage you to listen to the podcast. Get the app on your phone so that you can easily access um, the, the messages, not because of, of Greg's voice and Greg talking. It is to access the scripture to do the deep dive yourself and be led of the Holy Spirit in the word to get this. Because when you get this, it changes everything. It literally changes you from the defensive that, oh, somebody said, text me a scripture, man. The enemy's hitting me hard today to a, no, you won't. I know who my God is. I know who I am. Get thee behind me, Satan. I declare in the name of Jesus, this territory is going to be taken for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of darkness. There's something that comes over you, no matter how weak you are. That your spirit just it just ignites with the power of the Holy Spirit and you invade every place you go. That's a game changer. That is the offensive. And God is trying to build that right now so that his kingdom can invade planet Earth. That is what makes the difference. And that, by the way, is what will ultimately, as the bride wakes up, will ultimately bring people led of him into governmental positions of authority, the education system. It'll put people who see that they can live in all the areas of the earth according to his will. And that's where you're going to find teachers, educators, even entertainers. Can you even, can you even imagine? Entertainers filled with the Holy Spirit, putting out high quality, the best of the best films with all the high tech stuff that actually don't defame the name of God and and have every kind of level of debauchery and everything and and yet to get sometimes the clean films you got to sacrifice all the high quality and you got to go to what what people call the B movies to get a good Christian you know story going I thought, that ought not to be those things ought not to be in the hand of Satan they ought to be in God's kingdom the best of the best and that's what's happening he's going to be changing the hands but right now there's a cost so ask yourself whatever you're struggling with. When, when Brooke declared it, when Greg said it, there is freedom in Christ. But there's not freedom in Christ without your yes. Without you deciding to come unto him, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. To not try to save your life with self-preservation. Yeah, but i got to have this. Okay, I love you, God. I love you, God. Man, you know, be my strength, man. Give me freedom, but I'm not going to let go of that. I need that. i got to have that. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to forgive that. Oh, no way. God, do you know how bad they hurt? I'm not, I'm not letting that go. You better. You'll never be free. You'll never be free until you forgive, until your focus is straight. Ladies, you know, we were talking about this downstairs. Until you are walking in that faith and until you totally are surrendered to him, that deep surrender. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this reminder. Oh, God, thank you for what you offer in Jesus, what he paid for, 
that you offer us in relationship. You make a way for us to know you. But God, more than just knowing you for a a few moments in a devotional so we can get through the day and, and eke through it without total depression. Oh God, that's not what you died for. Jesus, that's not what you died for. You died for life. More abundant. It is only the thief that comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, you said, I have come to give abundant life, victorious life. God, help us to just trust you, to recognize first who you are and then who we are in you, what we carry. Oh, man, God, thank you for Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. Even in Ephesians 1, that just tells us that the very same power that, that pulled you from the grave, from the, the grips of hell that raised Jesus from the dead, is in us. It literally resides in us. And if we just spend some of that faith to believe it, what a game changer for our lives. What breakthrough is on the horizon. There is nothing, there is no weapon, no strategy of the enemy, no fiery dart that can hit us that is not overcome by the mighty name and power of Jesus. God, please help us today to not just sing about it, not just get hopped up on endorphins at the thought of it, but to live it, to breathe it, to move and have our very being in that truth by faith each step of the way. God, you are so mighty, so holy, so worthy. And truly, apart from you, we can do nothing. Oh, but with my God, I can scale any mountain. God, I just praise you and I thank you. Thank you for the truth that you've revealed to us this morning. We are now responsible for it. We are now accountable to walk it out. Give us the strength to do so. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.